for the visitors. Bella's mother a few weeks ago passed away, was buried in the Philippines, her home country. Uh, Her father says that he considers this his his church, his church family, even though he's not a member of the church here, but he considers this his church. And our heart goes out to her, and that comes from her heart, by the way, when she played that. You can go sit down if you want. You don't have to stay up here. Unless you're going to help me with a sermon. No. You mind if I say a couple of words of thank you and gratitude for some people? Some of you probably already realize, and maybe you don't, that uh, Eloise and Burke Tinker are going to be moving to Oklahoma um, before too long. They're still trying to pack. But I want to say thank you to Eloise for being our church treasure. Uh, she has been a fantastic treasure. And for Bert allowing her to count our money and to take care of the money because it takes time. Plus, um, Barbara Schick, my secretary, who a few months ago had to quit because of health reasons, uh, Eloise stepped in and volunteered to do the bulletins and to do other things for me. And I just want to say thank you, Eloise, for your kindness. With her being gone, we have uh, been on the search for a new treasurer, and we have offered the position to Lynn Jenkins. He is considering it. He's going to help for a while until he makes up his mind. Lynn, wave your hand so we can see who you are. That was a very weak Lynn. He's just sick that Eloise is moving. has been trying to talk her into staying for weeks and weeks, but uh, she's going to go ahead and move. Because of the fact that Barbara had to quit and, and I didn't have a secretary for a while, we had a search for a new secretary, and we've gone through uh, resumes and interviews, and and it's a hard decision, you know, when you've got people that send in their resumes and they're all highly qualified. Where do you pick and who do you pick? And uh, after a lot of prayer and a lot of consideration, uh, we chose Mary Hildy. Mary is back there, Mary. They stand up so they can see you because they're going to have to call her. She's going to take all the information now. And uh, by the way, we got the copying machine fixed. So she was going to run the bulletins off and the copy machine broke down when she started. So we had to call in the repairman and she didn't get a chance to run them off. I had to run them off yesterday. So we've got that taken care of. So I just wanted to say thank you, especially to these individuals. There's so many people in the church that you can thank, but these uh, have been so gracious in the last few weeks to be able to step in. and It has helped me out tremendously. Uh, if you all notice, our membership and our attendance has really increased over the last few months. And with that increase is an increase in uh, work and problems for the pastor. Um, more people means more things to do, and uh, I need strength. So if you'll remember me in your prayers as well, too. Um, being a pastor, you know, sounds like an easy job because you all think I only work one day a week. But I was telling my wife the other day, you know, we haven't had a day off in a long time, 
and uh, we need to see if we can do something about that. So we may take a little day or two off before we go and uh, before I collapse up here. You know, a part of the church, one of the big parts of the church um, for a growing church is evangelism. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, uh, that's important for us to be able to reach out to others and make them a part of our church family, whether they live here in the in the community or uh, welcome them from the Philippines or or wherever they might be. Evangelism has really been uh, a big part, especially of the Seventh Day Adventist Church, and uh, we just can't go without them. But evangelism has gone through a lot of of changes over the years. Sometimes Paul Schmidt and I, we sit down and we reminisce back in the days when we started the ministry and how everything has changed and even evangelism has changed over the years. Uh, for example, it was, uh, well, this was before in his and my time, so don't make us too old, but back in the days of, of Ellen White when our denomination was hadn't even started yet, but back in those days, a lot of times evangelism the people came only by word of mouth. There was no advertising, television, or anything like that. In fact, there's a story once that uh, William Miller was reported to, uh, was going to be able to speak on the steps of the U.S. Treasury, and thousands of people showed up. They just forgot to tell William Miller because he was in another state at another church. It was just rumor. And all these people showed up. Uh, those days have gone. Uh, word of mouth is, is hard to be able to advertise the evangelism that takes place. Um, in the heyday of, of Adventism over the last 30 years that I've been a pastor, um, I've seen a lot of, lot of different types of evangelism. Uh, I've seen, uh, back in, in the 70s, um, where we would go in large cities and rent these huge civic auditoriums. And the evangelists would come in, and we would have so many people in these large cities that would come that we would have to rent even more time in the civic auditoriums and have two, sometimes three other meetings afterwards to accommodate all the people that would come in and want to hear the Word of God. Um, evangelists used to come in... If you remember in those big auditoriums, four huge screens with banks and banks of slide projectors back there. I remember one evangelist coming to Omaha. I felt sorry for his poor wife because she had to run all the slide projectors. And that's, you know, the devil always comes in and makes one of those projector bulbs burn out. And she'd have to change that, change all the carousels for all those slide projectors and try to keep everything in order and running while he stands out here and does all the cush work of of uh, speaking. She's running her head off back in the back room. I've seen, uh, do you remember the Duquesne machines and the film strips? And the idea was that you were to take, uh, the church was to buy all these Duquesne machines and use these Bible film strips and you're to take it out and invite people over to your house or you're to, carry those Duquesne machines over to their house and you were to show them Bible studies and to give them Bible studies. That was a big thing for a while. I've seen and, and have had uh, small evangelistic efforts within a church, just the pastor having evangelistic efforts and doing 
just handing out brochures to invite people to come. I've had lay people that have said, you know, I want to be able to put on an evangelistic meeting. And then they give them within the church as well, too. So there's all kinds of things that have happened. And and then we went into the phase of the satellite evangelism. We still hold some of those. And uh, the signals are being beamed up onto a satellite in outer space. And then it bounces back to all the continents in the world. But now the big thing has switched from satellites to websites where people can take Bible studies in their own time, in their own homes, and go at their own pace uh, without anybody bugging them to death. Um, But that is the big things within the churches as well, too. So all of these evangelistic efforts, they all stem from a command that was given by Jesus. If you've got your Bibles, if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. And we want to look at verses 19 and 20. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Someone asked me, why aren't you using the uh, the screen and stuff? I do that when we've been having the deaf people that have been here. It helps Gary for them to see the Bible texts and everything so he doesn't have to get his fingers all tangled up trying to look at the screen and trying to figure out what all's being said. So they're not here today, so I just decided that you need to get your fingers all working in the Bibles. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." You've heard this preached many a times, and when we get ready to have an evangelist come in, they'll come in and preach this from the pulpit. And we've even given it a name. We call it, what do we call this? Yeah, the Great Commission, the Gospel Commission. And it's to motivate us to be able to go out and to work and to evangelize. There's a different model that is given by Jesus that I want to look at this morning To me, I think it is bigger and more powerful than the one we just read in Matthew. In fact, I would say, and I would venture to say, it's probably the largest evangelistic type series when we follow this this model than anything else in the world. Massive. Every church, uh, in every continent, in every time zone, uh, it's it's just huge of what this is that can can attract people from outside the walls of the church and then yet keep people within the church fully charged and ready for the second coming of Christ. So I want to look at that type of evangelistic outreach this morning because I think it's important. And, and we tend not to look at this type of an effort. But I think it can be very successful, especially within this church. Because we all want to be ready when Jesus comes, don't we? And we want to reach out and to be able to help others so that they can be ready when Jesus comes. So let's look at the passage of Scripture that Jesus talks about, and then let's begin to break it down, and then we'll share some more about it. But turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and we want to begin with verse 14. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. 
through uh, verse 22. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. 14 through 22. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. This is after he was baptized and when he went out into the wilderness, remember? And news of him went through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of the mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? So what does this passage have to do with evangelism? Let's take a look for a moment. After the baptism of Jesus, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Jesus went into the synagogue. What is the synagogue? He went into the church, and what was the purpose for him to go into the church? Not preach, but teach. There's a difference. He went in to teach. Now, the second thing I noticed when we read this, that Jesus was given a scroll with the writings of just one book. What book was that? Isaiah. Okay. Now, keep in mind, in public evangelism, you use the entire Bible. When you go out, the evangelists will will come in and they'll use all the books of the Bible. But here, Jesus just used one. And then Jesus, when he, he read that one passage just one passage from Isaiah's scroll, and then he began to explain or to teach the congregation about the true meaning of these ancient holy words pertaining to what's happening today. See, he said, today this is being fulfilled. Those words were spoken way before then. So he's taking the words from the scriptures and he's saying, here's what's happening today. So he's given them a new outlook that they had never really come to a realization before. Now maybe we should look at why this passage is different from the one we read in Matthew. First of all, Luke says that Jesus went into the church, whereas the passage in Matthew says to go where? To the whole world. There's a huge difference. To all the nations. Now, Luke says that Jesus opened the Scripture and he read only one place in the book of Isaiah. And Matthew says to teach and to observe all things that God has commanded to observe. Again, using the entire Bible, whereas Jesus just took one book. Luke is concentrating on the people who have gathered within the church. Because he stood up in the synagogue 
And it was the people who were there that had gathered together that was listening. Whereas Matthew seems to be talking more about meeting the public wherever they might be. And so that's why with the gospel presentation or the, the gospel commission, an evangelist will go out many times and rent in a big city a big hall and have it there. Whereas Jesus, his concentration is on the church. So to me, if you look at these two passages, really there are two types of evangelisms. Matthew is more for public evangelism, which is like the evangelist and like what we've done in the past. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that public evangelism has a time and a place for that to take place. But to me, Luke is referring to evangelism taking place within the church. A place to teach how to live, according to the Bible, how to live and to function in your everyday life. I would say the best place and the least expensive evangelistic tool within the church is the Sabbath school. Well, I didn't get very many amens. But I think I know the reason why. But let me continue on. We really seldom think of Sabbath school as an evangelistic tool. But if you stop and think of it, it is a very good tool for evangelism. Here's a place where students can come together and they have the opportunity to ask questions and interact with other church members. Am I right? Okay. An evangelistic series is when people come and they listen to an evangelist give a lecture, but they really only get acquainted with the evangelist and the pastor. Because they're the ones that goes out and visits the people in their homes. Am I right? I'm right, Paul. You go out into the homes, you visit with them, they get to know the pastor and they get to know the evangelist, but they very seldom get to know any members of the church. But in a Sabbath school, when you go into a class, you get to know the people that you are having this discussion with. That is a key point. An evangelistic series is when you come and you listen to an evangelist lecture and he mainly lectures on doctrines, but not necessarily on how to function in your everyday life, to be specific with problems that you yourself might be having. He might come in and say, "Yeah, you, you know, you really need to get the Sabbath off and we'll help you to be able to get it off. But what about if you're having problems with your kids? Well, the evangelist might say, you know, we'll pray for you for that problem. But we really need to come and talk about the state of the dead. So here is an opportunity for people to begin to interact with their class. And the teacher, what the teacher is, is to really to facilitate the class to help them to be able to pray for these individuals, to help them to see you know, the, if this is a problem, some of the others say, you know, I have the same problem. But here is what helped me. And to be able to share what the Lord has done. And you can't do that in a public evangelism class. In, so in evangelistic meetings, 
It's just the, the, the evangelist sharing the things that he has seen. But there's no interaction, so to speak. Ellen White describes the Sabbath school this way. This comes from Ministry of Healing, page 514. Listen to this. A Sabbath school brings the truths of the Bible into our individual experience. That means when I sit down in a Sabbath school class and I have faced my week and my problems and my work things and my family time and everything, I come down and I can sit in the class and I hopefully in the Sabbath school class will be able to learn something that will help me to get through another week of probably the same problems. I didn't function very well last week, but this week, because what I've learned from my classmates and what I've learned from my teacher and what I've seen in the Bible, I can face now this problem with a new insight. And then come back the next week and to say whether it worked or whether it didn't. And to have, if you're going through a problem, to have the Sabbath school class say, you know, we're going to be praying for you this week. And to encourage them. And maybe even to call them on the phone in the middle of the week and say, you know, Jim, I was just thinking about what you shared last week in Sabbath school. I want you to know that I've been praying for you. Do you know what that does? That is so encouraging to know that you're not going through this all alone. I like, we've got an, an elder within our church here, and every now and then he'll either call or he'll send a note, or maybe his wife will send a note and says, Pastor, I, I've just been thinking about you this week, and uh, I just want you to know that we uplifted you in prayer today. Oh man, I tell you that the rest of my day just I just bubble all over because somebody is thinking of me. And that's what the Sabbath school class is all about. Is is people caring for other people out of kindness. Did you study that today? You did if you came to Sabbath school. Or hopefully you did. Look what Jesus says. Go to Matthew 11. Matthew 11 verses 28 and 29. Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. Jesus is speaking. We've heard this passage before, but we haven't thought of it in the avenue of the Sabbath school. Jesus says, Matthew 11, 28 and 29. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. That's when you've gone through and you're at work and the problems and the pressures of life are on you. I will give you rest. So how do I get that rest? Take my yoke upon you and, what's the next word? Learn. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly heart and you will find rest for your souls. The best place to learn of Jesus how to function in everyday life with the problems of life is a Sabbath school. It's a time of interaction. To take place. And what Jesus is saying this, after being burdened down with everyday problems, come and learn of me. And, and to do that, in today's society, everyone has burdens and trials and temptations and stress and problems. Do you know that children do too? 
They say that the stress and the problems on children today is far greater than it was 30 years ago. So they have problems. A Sabbath school class gives opportunity to learn how to deal with these problems. There's help in knowing that others are supporting and praying for you. I tell you what. Take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 5. Let me show you something here. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 1. Moses is calling his people together. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. There's that learning process. Now go to Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4, verses 9 and 10. Deuteronomy 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from you, from your heart, all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear, that's to respect me, all the days of their life on the earth, and that they may teach their children. Twice he says that you need to take what you have learned to be able to experience in everyday life and then teach it to your children. You know what? Sabbath school is a place where our children can learn some of these things. They need to be learning them from home, but they also can learn and to interact with others in Sabbath school. Now, I've got to tell you about a study that was made within the Adventist church concerning the children's Sabbath school class. Children who make it a regular habit of attending and participating in Sabbath school is much more likely to remain an active member in the church when they become an adult. Do you see how important it is? Do you see how it's an evangelistic tool? To me, that makes the children's Sabbath school class a viable part of evangelism for this church. Not only for our children or grandchildren, but for all the children, because they are the life of the church. We have some fantastic teachers in our children's Sabbath school class. And I wished I could invite all of them to come up here, but it's 10 minutes to 12, and I don't want your stomachs to growl over the top of all of them. But I've asked one to come up here and to share with us, because she teaches, Jerry Eckblad teaches a, a class, the teen Sabbath school class, and uh, I'd like for her to briefly share just a couple of minutes of kind of w- what she teaches. What's her philosophy on teaching this early teen class? So, Jerry, if you'd come up here. I did call her beforehand. I'm not pulling her out of the clear blue sky. She didn't hang up on me this time either. We know that our young people, 
starting with juniors and going all the way to youth, you know, ages 10 to 20, are beginning to make decisions that can be life-changing. And that's what we're teaching to. Uh, There are four decisions that they make during these years. Uh, Two of them we cover in our juniors. The first one is building a spiritual life. And the second one is choosing friends. In our junior class, we concentrate on the first one, building a personal relationship with our creator. The lessons we use are a series called My Bible Says, and they're a three-year series. This is the way they look. Each Sabbath we cover them, and we do the work that's in the back of the lesson. And the children bring these back the following Sabbath again. And we find that in Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 92, we're told that the knowledge of the Bible helps young people resist temptation. Then each week, we also have our Young Disciple magazine. Uh, Those of you that are familiar with the guide will know that it has stories and articles and activities for them to do all during the week. And uh, they enjoy this. Um, I know you can't see these very well, but I left some up in the foyer so that if you want to look closely at them and really see what the lessons are like and what the magazine is like, you can. Uh, Nancy Mert and I teach the lessons, and Nancy as a nurse practitioner has a special feature on health two times a month that's just planned for juniors. Um, we do memory work and, in, and also help with missions, and I'm going to tell you how we do this. About four years ago, we got a sponsor for our junior class that believed that juniors should learn memory verses and they should also be involved in missions. So our sponsor pays $1 for every memory verse that is memorized, and the money is added up, and at the end of each quarter, the sponsor sends the money to ADRA. Uh, We keep a list for our juniors, and even today, we had uh, juniors that were earning $5 and $10. Of course, Learning memory verses that are short ones is, is easy, but they have to say the memory verse and where it's found. But then there are long ones like uh, the Lord's Prayer, the 23rd Psalm, and those are worth $5, so they always try to work for those because it adds up faster. I want you to know that in the uh, year 2008, the juniors earned over $600 for address. In 2009, did the same thing. So each uh, time we start a new quarter, they're always amazed when they can repeat the same one they had the quarter before or two quarters before. And they say, do you, do you think that's right? And we know that's right because they're really locking those in. Another decision that we uh, cover in juniors is choosing friends. Page 85 in Messages to Young People says, Great care is needed in helping our young people choose their friends. And so we go over this and we talk about what do you want in a friend? What should a friend do for you? 
And when the juniors are in Sabbath school, each Sabbath for three years, they have studied the entire Bible with their lessons, and they will have learned to cherish over 50 good memory verses. Thank you, Jerry. And you see the work that, that she is putting in on the class, and Nancy as well, too. It, it isn't just standing up there, and, and I have, I'm sorry to say, have gone to some Sabbath school classes uh, with the juniors, and they've actually sat down and read from the comic strips and then say, now what lesson can we get out of this out of life? i tell you what, the best place to get lessons of life is out of the Bible and then to memorize these verses because some point it's the Holy Spirit that's going to, when they need it, is going to bring one of those verses to their memory and to bring it out. So it is tremendous, and, and I wish you could hear from all the other classes because Sabbath school is an evangelistic tool. I want you to go to Proverbs, if you would. Well, don't go there. I'll, I'll quote it. You already know it. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, what will happen? He will not depart. And that's exactly what the study said about our Sabbath school classes, isn't it? That uh, if they come in and they, they uh, go to Sabbath school class and make it a regular habit and participate, that when they get older, they will remain within the church itself. And that is how uh, Jerry Eckblag and the other teachers are attempting, and that's what they're attempting to do. So they work hard in preparing these lessons. But I've got to share with you one problem. The problem is not the classes or the teachers. The biggest obstacle for our church today, whether it's the Beaumont Church or any other of the Adventist churches around the world, is the fact that very few children go to their Sabbath school classes, or if they do go, they show up late. Do you know how hard it is is to prepare something and, and then halfway through you get interrupted by a latecomer that comes in and they don't hear what the context of it is? How are they going to learn? That's a huge problem. We can remedy that. But let me tell you of another study made within the denomination. They have discovered that decision-making as, as to church attendance, Sabbath school attendance, and enrollment to Adventist schools and colleges has changed over the years. It used to be that the parents made the decision, we're going to church, you're going to Sabbath school, you're going to, to uh, the academy, you're going to college, to one of our Adventist colleges. But they discovered now that that is no longer the case, that it is the child that makes the decision. They have discovered that the child who makes a decision that they want to go to an Adventist college or university is made at age five or six years of age. I don't know about you, but when I was five or six, I was not capable of making a decision about whether I was going to go to college or a university. But I have actually seen... Young people stand outside in front of the Sabbath school class with one of their parents folding their arms across their chest, stomping their feet and says, I'm not going to Sabbath school today. And the parents give in. 
Somewheres along the line, we as parents and grandparents, we need to go back into help in making the decisions for the kids that are the right ones. I want you to look at one other text here. Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29 and verse 15. Proverbs 29 and verse 15. Proverbs 29, verse 15. It simply states in the New King James, it says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. What this is saying is, is that discipline by the parent, the parent taking charge and saying, this is what we're going to do, brings wisdom to the child, to the whole family. But when a child is left to decide for themselves of what they're going to do and what they're not going to do, all it's going to do is bring shame to the family. That's biblical. You read it, didn't you? It's there. I didn't make it up. So would you agree with me that our children are our legacy? If Jesus doesn't come in our lifetime, our children have to carry on the the church and the functions of the church. But if they're not capable of learning it, how are they going to carry it on? If they're not willing to go, how are they going to carry it on? Our evangelistic tool, I'm afraid, at times goes to waste. Even in the adult Sabbath school class, very few people show up on time. Paul stood up to lead and start out the Sabbath school with this rousing song service with a congregation of three. The song, I could hear Paul because he was speaking through the microphone. Couldn't hear the others singing. But it's frustrating when you go through the time and the effort to be able to stand up and to work and to prepare, and then it doesn't happen. Well, If you remember, Jesus says that just before he comes, he's going to say, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. We believe that that time is not far off in the future. I want not only we ourselves to be ready when Jesus comes, but I want our children to be ready. I want my grandchildren to be ready. I want your children and grandchildren to be ready. I don't want anyone who is in this church to be left out. So that means that we have to become more effective with our evangelistic tool that we have that doesn't cost thousands and thousands of dollars, but can be effective for the church members and for the non-church members that come and visit, because it is an important part of our evangelistic effort. There's a day coming soon when our Lord and Savior is going to come and gather his precious jewels, and that includes our children, don't you think? I hope that we're praying. We're missing one Sabbath school class. We have now for a couple of years. That's our kindergarten class because we don't, can't find anyone that wants to teach. That's too bad. Those children 
that are kindergarten age are missing out on something. They're either put in and left in cradle roll where it's geared for a much younger set or they're moved up to the, to the next classroom where it's a little higher and it makes it harder for the teacher to know how to adjust the class to fit that wide range of ages. We need a kindergarten Sabbath school class as an evangelistic tool and it's a ministry that you can help in preparing for our young people. Let's take our hymnals, if we would. Let's turn to hymn number 218, When He Cometh, 218. Father, forgive us when we emphasize one type of evangelism more than we emphasize another. They're all important. We need to reach out into all the world and share the everlasting gospel because those souls are precious. But we also need to reach out within our own church and to learn and to teach and to share how to live in everyday life, and especially our children. They are precious in your sight. It would be better for a millstone to be put around our necks than to neglect our children within our own church. Lord, forgive us where we have gone wrong and help us to do your will now. In Jesus' name, amen.